0: We are coming to you with a bonus episode uh, in between our regular episodes in response to the novel coronavirus and associated illnesses, uh, the pandemic sweeping our globe, which is putting us in an entirely new situation. And so we thought we'd just take a, a short while to reflect on it together and share our thoughts with you for your um, edification and comfort, hopefully, and uh, maybe just entertainment as you're stuck at home, like uh, seven billion other people on the the planet are right now. Uh, you know, dad, this is, um, uh, thank heaven for small favors kind of case. But, um, after 2017 wrapped up, I figured it would be at least 50 years before anyone was remotely interested in anything Martin Luther had to say again, because they were so, um, sated and exhausted after the uh, big Reformation anniversary year. But um, somewhat sadly, it seems that 2020 is going to be known not as the 500th anniversary of his treatise, The Freedom of a Christian, but the year that we remember his Whether One May Flee a Deadly Plague. Uh, it has become wildly popular. Again, I've noticed there is a huge number of, of hits if you Google it. Um, people are talking about it again now in, in the, the faith community. So um, yeah, I thought we would uh, just talk a little bit about what luther has to say about these uh very timely issue which i have to say i frankly never thought in reading that it would be remotely relevant to my life
1: and that's something the more things change the more they remain the same
0: yeah yeah yeah, though I think something that takes over the whole planet. Well, I don't know. I mean, in in the context of the the bubonic plague which started to hit Europe in the mid-14th century and recurred frequently all the way down to Luther's time, I mean, an appalling percentage of the European population was wiped out. So in a sense the whole the whole known world was basically sicker at risk. So in that respect, even though the numbers are smaller, there is a certain comprehensiveness to it that makes it similar.
1: And I think it's a a warning sign uh, in this era of globalization, isn't it? I mean, the destiny of humanity to be interconnected, I think at this point is inescapable. The spread of the coronavirus is negative witness to the fact that we are bound together on this earth in a common body. And we will, for good or for ill, communicate with one another.
0: Yeah, we are. We we sink or we swim together. There's no more, uh, um, you know, maintaining the borders. Even with borders closing, this is a trans-border thing and moves pretty quickly. So anyway, um, you said you had a ch- chance to read over Luther's treatise, too. What particularly struck you about it that you would want to lift up, especially for people today?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, he begins by emphatically declaring what follows is an opinion, not a dogma, which he submits uh, to the judgment of his readers and to the particular pastor who has petitioned him for um, an opinion on this question whether one may flee a deadly uh, plague. And what Luther does, as is typical of Luther is the the, the, treat- the little essay is amazing. Uh, for what we could call scriptural reasoning. Uh, It's just surfeit with biblical stories, examples, and precedents, and uh, commandments, and so forth. Uh, And of course, above all, Luther's uh, trying to distinguish the courage of faith from recklessness on the one side uh, and cowardice on the other. So it's kind of Luther's scriptural version of Aristotle's golden mean. The golden mean between recklessness on one side and cowardliness on the other is courage. And of course, Luther wants to uh, uh, root this courage, the courage to love in the face of a threat of death, the courage to love in the face of a threat of death is to be rooted in uh, in uh, gospel faith, in in the God of the gospel, who made us into his neighbor when we were in need and so forth. So I think that's basically the kind of uh, approach Luther takes in the essay. What did you get out of it?
0: Yeah, I noticed that too, how he weaves back and forth between cowardice and recklessness and trying to define what is the the healthy range or faithful range of options. And like you said, he doesn't say definitely stay or definitely flee. Um, one thing that really comes to the fore, and I think this is very typical of Luther, is that you are not uh, like a Kantian universal. You are a specific person in a specific set of relationships with a specific set of duties. And so it's really in relationships to all of these relationships that you have to make your call so he says if you are a magistrate if you are you know a medical worker as we'd say now or if you are a pastor uh, in the first place these are public offices in which you are needed to help cope with what's going on here whether you know it's actually treating the sick or preparing them for death through prayer and the sacraments or you know trying to make legal decisions political decisions for the good of the community you may not flee under those cases uh, even if you are a coward you're not allowed to be because that is your your duty in that sense. He hopes it will be animated by Faith. But then he even says there are a lot of other kinds of offices which are less obviously public, but which still obligate you. So he even talks about neighbors. Like, if you know that your neighbor is alone and sick and has no one to help them, it actually is your job to go and see what you can do for them. If you know that someone else is on it, then you are not obligated by it. But you need to be aware of the whole network of relationships around you and step up where there is need. And it's only when you are truly discharged of obligations to people who need you in the crisis that you can can rightly and faithfully flee to safer territory.
1: Yeah, well said. And I think we see here something that's rather difficult for us modern uh, or postmodern people. Our self-understanding and our ethics are existentialist and individualist. And Luther's ethics that are on display in this treatise and his uh, scriptural reasoning are, I would urge, highly communitarian. You, as an individual, are located in communities with arenas of responsibility. And for good or for ill, you are bound as an earthling to the earth and to these communities, these earthly organic communities of father, mother, sister, brother that's the family, of uh, butcher, baker, candlestick maker that's the economy, governor, government, and governed that's the state. And the congregation, which is a mixture of the weak in faith and the strong in faith, where the, the picking up Romans 14 and 15, where Luther exerts the strong in faith to bear with Christ's weak ones. They're to hold up the weak in faith who are lacking in courage. The strong are to bear with the weak and show their strength by bearing with the weak. Uh, and then he points out in this context, talking about the congregation as one of these arenas of responsibility, he says we should not regard the pestilence or the plague or the pandemic simply as some kind of punitive action of God, some kind of scourge, though we should take it as a time for self-examination, certainly. But above all, it's a time, he says, for the testing of faith, whether it will be operative in love. If it's a true faith, it will show itself at work in love. If it's a weak faith to the point of being a false faith, it will flee in cowardliness to save its own skin, abandoning others lovelessly.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's very striking how he will not actually just jump to the conclusion that it's some kind of punishment. And he, you know, makes the point like, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, It's it's not, you know, it may be by the plague, it may be not. But there is, is a universal to the, uh, the the final judgment of death that nobody gets out of. It's just a matter of time. So to to overinterpret it is a, a dangerous thing. I was really struck too, by um, how he navigated the line of boldness of faith, faith versus recklessness. Um, I was struck by that because he says, you know, there, there can be a certain kind of extraordinary faith that is prepared to meet death at any time and is theref- thereby emboldened to uh, exceptional service to nature and to neighbor. And he has no a special objection to that but he also very strongly makes the case you know to flee from harm and to preserve your own body is natural and in this sense natural is good that is to be honored God made you to want to preserve your own life and there is actually nothing in and of itself that's wrong with that again if it's at the cost to the neighbor um, or he he has heard rumors that of spiteful people go around trying to infect the uninfected because they don't see why others shouldn't suffer like they have and you know he he says that those people are basically murderers and should be executed right off. Um, but I, I was struck by his willingness to uh, we often think of Luther as being, you know, so so like faith forward and um, against, you know, uh, nature, like it's only only grace transformed grace. But in this respect, he's actually defending natural impulses and says it is fine to preserve your own life. It's just, again, as you said, in the wider communitarian perspective that you assess the value of your life.
1: You know, I think that's something really precious, and it's very parallel to Luther's arguments about sexuality, uh, that God has implanted in us this uh, desire for self-preservation, to preserve our lives from danger, just as God has implanted in us this desire uh, for the opposite sex and so forth and so on. Luther is always affirmative of the natural in this respect. Now, In theology, the term natural has got all sorts of other connotations and even definitions. And so the whole question of the relationship of grace and nature uh, is a complicated one because the word nature is not unequivocal. It has various senses. But here, Luther is talking in a very elementary way about the natural impulse to preserve one's own life and to bisexual desire to propagate life, to procreate life, and so forth. And these, he thinks, are things implanted by God.
0: It's an extension of the doctrine of creation.
1: It is. It is. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it, right? That mandate is is and remains valid. And in this respect, Bonheffer in his ethics has a remarkable section about uh, about recovering a sense of the natural in Protestant theology. Mm, and right. this is over against the Cartesian-Kantian tradition of modern, modern thought, in which nature is basically the enemy. Uh, uh, and, and human beings are here, put here to overcome nature. And Bonhoeffer, following Luther, wants to say, no, the nature is God's creation. We are natural creatures. We are embedded in nature with all the risks and vulnerabilities that implies, as well as the benefits and joys. And so Bonhoeffer wants us to restore the category of the natural to Protestant theology.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, he's also, I think Bonhoeffer is thinking of um, deliberate perversions of the natural and Nazi experimentation or race race science um, that is an enemy of the natural. And I don't think Bonhoeffer saw this himself, but we also see it in a lot of Marxist states where nature is has no set contours. It's just there to be molded to the will of the dictatorship of the proletariat or whatever. Um, and in that respect, I think both Luther and Bonhoeffer really do call out for us that uh, we we don't know nature apart from sin, but there is still nature there as in God's creation. And that is to be valued and affirmed as, as such.
1: Right. It, it reminds me, you know, Sarah, you'll, I'll say this of the Slovak peasants proverb, uh, which means when they give it to you, take it, when they beat you, run. In other words, <laughs> It's simply pain is pain and pleasure is pleasure. And don't get the two confused. Keep it simple, (laughs) baby. Keep (laughs) it simple. Keep it simple. Right? Right. And so this natural system of pain and pleasure, reward and punishment is something implanted by God for our good. And it's to be respected so far as it goes. And he argues against some of the fanatics who are uh, the, the reckless ones. Uh, that uh, since our lives are in God's hands, let's just uh, ignore the the virus or ignore the pestilence and, and dare it to kill us. He argues that whole thing to absurdity. Why don't you just stop eating your bread and drinking your water? Why don't you just commit suicide? Why don't you just say, Lord, send me to hell? Uh, how absurd.
0: Yeah, well, so this is all, you know, uh Luther who survived <laughs> and uh the the bubonic plague, not a nice way to go. Um but let's what can we do with this now <laughs> what does this mean um in the you know the 21st century and as a pandemic that seems to be affecting nearly every country on earth has huge numbers of people if not the majority by now in some form of self-imposed isolation or government imposed isolation death tolls uh huge uncertainty about even what it is where it is how it works Yeah, you go first. (laughs) I'll try to figure out what to say.
1: I I think a lot of people now are discussing uh, at what cost the cure. And if we, uh, by this quarantining, if we uh, send the economy into a worldwide depression, how many people will that kill? You know, so you get into these really difficult questions of calculating the greatest good for the greatest number which is the kind of the utilitarian mentality of uh, our secular politics. Here I think Christians have to recognize those secular arguments for what they are. Uh, they're a finite set of sinners taking into their hands the decision about what other set of sinners are going to pay the heavy price. In utilitarian ethics, there's always a minority that gets sacrificed to the greater good, and that should be a reminder of the limits of secular ethics. Uh, What Christians need to say very boldly, I think, are two things. On the personal level, level, the courage of faith. The courage of faith instructs us to do our duty in love to our neighbors and put our lives in God's hands. That doesn't mean tempting God or acting recklessly, but it does mean uh, to avoid panic, to remain rational, to be there for others on the personal level. On the social level, one of the things Luther brings out in the treatise is that the institution of the hospital in Western civilization, was founded by the donations of the pious as a ministry of Christian charity. And Luther affirms this impulse, tracing it all the way back to Jesus, the great physician, that care of the sick and healing of the sick is a duty of Christian charity. And he says, at this time, it's appropriate for the government to take over this institution and to provide it uh, uh, for all people. So I think that Christians socially want to witness that uh, uh, healthcare care uh, is an aspect of justice in society. Now, there's a lot of other questions that remain unresolved there, but I think that's two immediate takeaways, personally and socially, that we can take out of Luther's treatise.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think what I've been meditating on most is that thinking back to our episode last year about faith to the aid of reason, there is such a mass problem of uncertainty and ignorance. And I don't mean like willful ignorance, but I mean, the the way this even started, the way information has disseminated, the difficulty of even acquiring information, then analyzing it correctly, then communicating it properly, um... It seems like since the whole thing began, there's been... um the discussion has been a wash in conspiracy theories of all kinds um which are a fascinating phenomenon in their own right but i think it must have something to do with just the intolerability of uncertainty and it becomes more intolerable the more the stakes rise um and i think that's why we see you know just such um strong passions and suspicions and accusations flying every which way um although uh, i mean there there have been some remarkable acts of of goodwill and um, social concern and kindness too. And so I guess, you know, this is just kind of put me back into, um, it, it It honestly makes me think of the many predictions of the end of the world that uh, Christians have fostered since Justin Martyr onward that have been all wrong, um, 100% failure rate of prophecies for the end of time. And um, I think there is something importantly Christian to say we don't know and probably nobody knows as much as they need to know. And that is in fact, part of what's going on here. And so there has to be um, certainly not letting, you know, especially the the main public officials off the hook, but you know, I guess I'm, I'm uh, would counsel a kind of um, forbearance <laughs> with people at the top who are having to make decisions with enormous consequences with nowhere near enough. I mean, they need a hundred percent god's eye information, and they don't have it, and they're never going to get it. And they still have to decide. You often talk about the retrospective fallacies, how we look back and say, "Well, I would have stood up for the Jews," or you know, whoever. Like, no, you probably wouldn't have. You may not have even known what was going on. You may not have seen the consequences of your own bad habits of anti-Judaic slander all along and what it was going to lead to. Um, So it's pretty easy to look back and say what should have happened. Um, There may be cases of real culpability there. So I would say a certain amount of forbearance with people who have to make awful wrenching decisions who can't possibly know what they need to know. But also, I would just say, you know, um, those who are inclined to conspiracy theories, I think that the truly Christian thing to confess here is we don't know and uncertainty is is intrinsic to this situation, and being able simply to accept, I don't know, and in a a true sense, it is in God's hands. I don't mean that as a cheap platitude at all, but as the the real alternative to uh, panic and hasty judgments at one extreme or the other. I think that is really the only thing that can kind of give ballast in this very terrifying and uncertain time.
1: Yes, and I think, Sarah, what you're saying also... uh, speaks against the terribly bad malicious habit that's developed in American politics, left, right, and center to weaponize the situation Mm, and to use it as a a tool to politically or in a partisan way attack your opponents. And I I fault all sides in this, the temptation to weaponize science, data, the lack of data, certainty, uncertainty, Uh, it's like we're willing to throw any kitchen sink available at our enemy without any concern for consistency, principled behavior, objectivity, fairness of judgment, and so forth and so on. This is really quite worrisome. And here faith, as we said in a podcast previously, faith must come to the aid of reason. Uh, There are an infinity of facts. We can't possibly know all the facts Anytime we appeal to facts, we are selecting facts from an infinity, and we are organizing that selection according to a particular theory of the case, which may or may not be supported, uh, uh, verified, or falsified by the evidence that's gathered. Science is a constantly open-minded process of inquiry, and When it's true science, it cannot be weaponized because it's always open to further evidence. That's what I would say. Faith must come to the aid of reason by giving us all a measure of patience and charity.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wholeheartedly endorse that. Um, And I guess the last thing I say, since we're keeping this just a short episode, we want to just get a message out to everyone there is um, don't stop praying. (laughs) Um, Prayer does not uh, instantly make pandemics go away, but uh, prayer is so exhorted by the scripture. It's exhorted by every leading light of faith in our whole history of the Christian of Christianity and in all other religions as well. Real stuff happens with prayer, not in a mechanistic or predictable kind of way, but it is it is. It is the real thing happening, and uh, when you are stuck at home, don't have a job, kids driving you nuts, or, you know, not enough to do, or, you you know, have five years worth of toilet paper in your house and don't know where to put it, you know, with all the other things that are, are limiting you, you are not in any way limited in your ability to pray. So, pray on.
1: Pray on. I agree with that. I want to, one other thing about the tr- little treatise I'd like to make note of, towards the end, we get into Luther's demonology. And I, I found this little section very fascinating because Luther has a kind of pre-scientific but quasi-scientific theory of pestilence. That he says there are all these evil spirits in the air that are infecting us. Well, you know, that's not so far from respiratory transmission of viruses <laughs> when you think when you when you think about it, right? But yeah. the theological point he wants he's making is that the devil always wants to destroy God's creation and drive us to despair. And the panic that indulges in uh, conspiracy theories and weaponizes information to score political points, behind that all is a deep despair a lack of confidence in the goodness of creation and the creator's uh, care. And here is where there's really a spiritual message from the Christian faith to the whole world, to the whole society. What we need above all in this time is a serene confidence that our lives are in God's hands. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And with that, confidence paradoxically we're liberated to act charitably and rationally here on the earth even in the time of great trial
0: yeah and that doesn't mean we might not be facing some very real grief in the months ahead um but as as you said whether we live or whether we die we are the lords amen amen okay be well be healthy out there drop us a line let us know how you're doing um, topics you'd like us to cover. <laughs> we're, we're also at home. So I'm happy to hear from you. So all right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Queen of the Sciences podcast. For show notes and more, visit our website, queenofthesciences.com. To find out more about what we do, visit com and paulhenlekey.com. Finally, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend about the show.